The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail, every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash liveforward. There's something scary hiding in the back of your closet. Your bathing suits and summer clothes, they you're pretty sure don't fit anymore. What if there was a way to get into summer shape in one visit? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonabello to explain. It really is quite remarkable. Sonabello doctors use a technology called microlaser fat removal, and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone. Permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable visit. It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonabella locations across the U.S. And right now you can save $250. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. That's Sonobello.com slash save. All right, welcome back to the Razball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. I'm here for another week. We're here to talk more baseball. We got some big news in the world of prospects. The minor league season is winding down. Arizona Fall League rosters were just named a few days ago. We got some call-ups happening. It is September 1st. As we're recording this, we record a little bit later than we usually do in the week. It's now Saturday afternoon. So your Mm -hmm. updates are even more fresh than usual what you hear in the background is not my children. That's Lance Brozdowski. <laughs> What's going on, brother? How are you? <laughs> What's up, man? I'm doing well. I'm I'm super bummed the minor league season is ending. I don't know what I'm going to do on the weekends, honestly. I've been traveling around so much out here in the Midwest. I like. I'm I'm worried, man. I'm getting sad. I'm going to get like a what do they call that? Sad seasonal depression disorder. Uh, but it's going to be for baseball. Totally. It's not going to be for like the weather, you know. So yeah. But I, we'll have major leagues. We'll have some AFL coming up. I'm I'm excited, but I'm not going to be able to we'll get as many live looks. Too. Instructs we'll have, too. Instructs. We'll too it, it won't be live. It won't be live instructs looks, but we'll be getting a lot of good information from Jason Woodall, yes. Jason Perini. They're going to be together working for Prospects Live down at Instructs in Florida. Blue Jays. We're going to get lots and lots of looks at some of these kids that are coming over. J2 guys, guys from the GCL and the lower levels, guys that were injured and shut down that are working out down there. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really excited just to hear some of that information. 
I'm trying to get out to Arizona myself to check out the fall league. Lance, is that something you're trying as well? Yeah, I've thought about it. I think it's going to be tough oh. with, with school and stuff. I'm going to have to figure something out. Maybe I'll try to do that Baseball HQ weekend. I know that they do like a Friday to Sunday thing where a lot of people go to. I might try to do that, but I, I but I almost prefer to do like the, the more of the backfield stuff when like no one's there during the week. Take a week do, off, but I don't think I'll be able to take a week off from classes do, out here. In do, you think, so. do you think we have any wealthy listeners that want to be like donors and want to <laughs> Want to pay for our plane, um, our plane ticket out there? Who's I'll got- <laughs> cover my hotel expenses, but if you pay for my plane ticket to and from Massachusetts to Arizona, I will go out there. I will stay for four or five days, and I will scout the heck out of games, <laughs> and uh, I'll run your fantasy team the next two years. I promise. I, yeah, I was about to say we give them perpetual shoutouts or something. Was, we gotta, we gotta do a ranking of what listeners have the most mileage. You know, I think that's a big thing. Airline miles just sitting there that they're not going to use. That's what we got. That's what we got to capitalize on. That's not even money at that point. That's just credits that you built up. So nice. Screw that yeah. vacation. Send me in Ralph Arizona, right? Do it. Do it <laughs> now, Lance. Have you gotten any good looks at uh, any of these recent call-ups? I know you were mentioning to me that you got you got to check out Louis Urias's yeah. uh, homer, his first major league homer on Friday night. So beautiful. Let's talk a little bit about yeah. What do you saw from Urias? I don't know if you saw a few at bats or just that one. Uh, batted ball. <laughs> yeah, well, I saw, I mean, I watched the first game. I watched those four at-bats he had. I think he walked once, or maybe three at-bats and walked once. Regardless, he didn't get a hit, but he made contact three times. I don't think he struck out in that okay. game. And it's great back to ball. Like, uh, the the interesting thing that I want to see over a longer period of time, I know we think we need about 80 player eighty plate appearances plus before that K starts to stabilize, K rate starts to stabilize. But we saw in AAA a slight jump up. We saw the jump from, like, 12-ish to 20 on the strikeouts with a correlation of some ISO kicking up as well. And that's great. Like, that's what we wanted to see. We always thought he was just contact. He started tapping to more power, got into his back hip a little more, lifting up that leg a little bit. And then we get at the major league level, and the Ks are down right now. So... It might be, I'm, I'm theorizing two things. One, it's just a small sample and it hasn't stabilized yet. Probably the more likely scenario. Number two might just be that the book on him isn't really open right now. So maybe he gets like this 10%, 12% K rate for a while. And then you start to see an adjustment back. Like we saw with guys like Devers. Like we've seen a little bit with Acuna too and others, you know. Just really good prospects who, who are called up. They think, pitchers think they know how to throw to him. And then it takes some time before the book opens up. And you start to see, okay, he's, he's struggling with, you know, fastballs inside, fastballs uh, upper third or breaking balls in like just they're going to come up with something that's going to counteract and we're probably going to end up seeing like an 18% strikeout Louis Arias but um, right now it looks amazing um, and I really like the piece of hitting on his home run the other way he didn't even think I think off the bat he knew it was out I thought he maybe thought it was foul just based on his mannerisms in the box when he hit the ball but it was like right field corner in Petco it kind of like juts out a little bit it's like a little half circle and he, he popped it right into there I think it was fastball middle middle um, I just, just a great piece of hitting. I feel like you don't see a lot of guys stay inside the ball that well on a pitch like that and are able to power that ball 320 or so feet to right field. Usually that ball just flies foul or they take it or foul it off weakly. But he stepped into the ball. He stays inside really well. He's got a little bit of that Altuve comp on his lower half. I've been seeing some gifs of that. Kind of agree with that. I think Altuve is more of a special talent, which is, uh, it, you know, you apply it to any kid who's young like that. But I mean, the other thing too is like comparing to a guy like Nick Madrigal, who I think is probably a little bit more almost applicable just based on you know how close they are to, to talent level. Altuve have an, obviously another tier. I think everyone else does. But another really short guy. So we got Urias, Altuve, and Madrigal, all really short guys with very, very, very active front legs, but also really good discipline, which kind of counteracts what we talk about with a lot of other guys who are high strikeout guys, and we're like, wow, look at that lower half, a lot of movement, a lot sure. of bat movement, et cetera. But these three guys are a little really good contact, and it's just a matter of now with hoping with, with Urias and uh, with Madrigal that the power comes. And this piece of hitting from Madrigal, or excuse me, from Urias, um, to, to right field and Pekka was 
that was pretty encouraging to me. You know, I feel like if anything, he's just going to get a bunch of pull side homers, but I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see some Urias. I, I think I was reading something about his pronunciation. I think it is Urias, like O-O, re, an emphasis on that re and then is, but I think I've been calling him Urias a while. So I'm going to definitely mix that in and be extremely um, yeah. not conscious of how he says it, but I believe it is Urias. So I'll call him Urias. I'll try. Yeah, what do you, th- I, what do you I think, just- man? What do you think of him? I just I like him a lot, and then when it comes to name pronunciations, I just try to not sound completely pretentious while doing <laughs> yeah. it. Some some justice to like acknowledge that it is Spanish. Like that's pretty much yes. what I do. Like I don't like I'll, I'll say Nicaragua. I don't need to be like Nicaragua. Yeah. Like I don't need <laughs> yeah. I don't need yeah. to over pronunciate it. Like, you know, don't need to go too far. I don't want to sound like I'm that guy. Yep. It's a little too hipster. You know, it's a little bit too skinny too jeans with, with a with a beard that has like you know a braid in it, and <laughs> I make and I make bread for my girlfriend's yeast kind of stuff. Like I don't want to go too far with the name pronunciations. Anyway, I like Urias a lot. I was arguing with Gray a little bit about what defines power, what defines mm-hmm. boring, what translates to the major league level, and why we often get. Uh, the, 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 uh, the label on players of, Oh, why wasn't this guy a bigger prospect? Or why do you think this guy's good? He looks kind of boring or this or that. And it's because you look at numbers and you try to write people off because they don't have big power or big speed in the minor leagues. And I I don't think those two counting stats are necessarily as indicative of major league success, even within those categories as guys that get on base guys that hit, you know, that hit for average and people that were scouted as having good speed and good instincts. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you have to go. He's already stole a base too. I don't think you have to go crazy. You want a guy, the baseline offensively in fantasy, you want a guy that gets on base and puts the bat in the ball. If you can do those two things, um, harmoniously in terms of his approach, that's a guy that's going to be really, really good at the major league level. And that's what I think we've seen here with Louis Urias. And I think we've seen it a lot recently with these hit tool guys that you don't necessarily have to have the most exciting profile from a power and speed standpoint. You can maybe have those skills a little bit, but guys like Jose Ramirez is, was a hit first guy that's developed a lot more power and it's allowed him to utilize the speed in the bases because he's on base so much. Alex Bregman's a guy like that. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of other examples, you know, throughout the game today where I, th- I think there's guys, you know, Glaber Torres to some extent was someone that was billed as going to potentially be boring for fantasy, a better real life hitter. Yep. And I don't think that's the case. I think we've seen the powers played up a little bit because of the quality of contact. And a lot of it just comes down to how quick are your hands? How good is your barrel control? Mm-hmm. And those two things combined, as well as having, you know, a disconcerting eye and being able to pick up spin that combination at the plate leads to a lot of success and can open up um, a lot of or op- open up the ability to develop in a lot of other areas. And I think that's what's going to happen with Urias. I think he will have his 20 homer seasons, you know, um, it, may, it may be more of like a Dustin Pedroia overall profile when he was in his, his really great years where like there's a little bit of speed, but a lot of it comes because he had an opportunity to do so and where he's hitting in the lineup and just game flow and stuff like that. And then just taking the opportunity on mistakes and being able to know how to turn on it and add, you know, the sort of functions in his lower body to be able to tap into maybe a little bit more power that because of his build, he needs to, in order to go deep. The other part of it is he's incredibly young. We forget how advanced and how quickly he moved throughout the lower minors. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of been on the radar and on the, uh, on, on the cusp of the major leagues now for, you know, more or less two years. So I think 
we sort of take for granted that he's only what, 21 years old and probably within a few months of turning 21, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have his fan graph page open in front of me, but yeah, I'm pretty sure he's 21 and, and probably just turned 21 this year. So yeah, that's a guy that, you know, there's still a lot of time for him to turn into a different player and for him to grow a little bit too. You know, yep. uh, our bodies change a lot at that point. I think people forget that too, just because these guys are athletes doesn't mean they don't go through sort of, you know, a maturation period between like 21 and 25, like most men do, you know, it's a good point. Yeah. Urias turned 21 in June of this year. Yeah, Add another year exactly. to 21. You get 22. Who's Michael Kopech. Ralph, you watched some Kopech yesterday. I saw his first start absolutely enamored with it, but I'm more interested in this, uh, another rain out for him. It seems rain shortened at least. And, uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah. You were texting me a bit. I was following the game vicariously through you. Give us the rundown. Yeah, so one thing I'll, I'll, I'll say about uh, Kopech is he was absolutely jacked up in the first inning, hit Mookie Betts in the first pitch of the game. You could tell it got away from him. He was like, you know, just kind of like upset about it, and I'm thinking, here we go. And it was the same thing in the first game, because I've seen all three of his starts. I've seen every pitch that he's thrown professionally, uh, or was he, as a major leaguer, excuse me. And I actually watched his final two Charlotte starts. So I've, mm-hmm. I've seen five, I've seen his last month, or, or more or less, and he was sweating like a hog in that first start, man. Seriously, like you remember, like the shot of him, like the first, yeah. Oh my God! And but he was just like sweating, like profusely. You could tell he was jacked up. He starts games early, jacked up. So anyway, he hits Mookie, throws Benintendi four consecutive balls, two more to JD Martinez. He's behind 0-2. He's got two guys on, um, and then he gets lucky. Mookie gets caught between second and third. Makes a really like really nice uh, uh, play. He was totally plugged into what was going on in the game. That was really nice to see. Tosses it over to Moncada. Moncada makes like a like like a nice catch and then sort of catches Mookie mm-hmm. um, as he's sort of jumping uh, with a with a nice tag as he's sliding underneath his legs. Um, so it was a nice like one two play. I thought against the Red Sox, the guys that you know obviously uh, they had traded away in the sale deal. So after yep. that play, it seemed like. Kopech calmed down. Like it was like, all right, I've made it out. I got the guy off second base. You know, the, the one pitch that got away from me, I'm going to be able to get away with it. Uh, gets a fly ball, you know, middle of the outfield, but nothing, you know, big hang time, but nothing that, you know, it was any concern that he was going to leave the park off of JD Martinez on an O2 count. Um, then comes back. And uh, I think two pitches in maybe, you know, through a strike, you know, first, first uh, pitch, fastball strike. Then threw a high fastball, or excuse me, a low slider, low slider, and uh, gets an infield pop up off of the bat, the bat of uh, Xander Bogart. So I thought, considering what happened early on in that inning, the fact that he got out of that inning having thrown only 11 pitches with two guys on and having not thrown a strike for his first eight pitches of that inning, mm-hmm. he did pretty well to settle down and get bad contact. And then throughout the next two innings, I think you know when he left in the third. He'd only thrown 35 pitches. Um, so none of, none of his innings were real strenuous, got a lot of weak contact, wasn't looking for the strikeout all the time. I thought that his fastball control and command after that, that brief, you know, bout early on when he was obviously jacked up, he was against the Red Sox home game. Let's go. Um, it seemed that the fastball command after that was really, really good. He was able to hit his spots. You know, the, the catcher's glove, you know, wasn't moving a whole ton. The slider looked pretty crisp. 
Um, and he didn't even really have to go to the changeup all that much. So he was hitting the spots of the two pitches and it's a really nice mix. You know, when he's, when he's hitting, you know, 95, 96, 97 with a fastball with movement, you know, able to pump it, you know, high on guys, high in the high and in, in the strike zone and really hit that, that, you know, high and in corner, um, and then mix it with a slider that he can drop down, you know, and, and even, you know, drop it into the dirt as a wipeout pitch. If he wants to, when he's got that working, which he did in the second and third inning, he looks like he can be a guy that can be really, really dangerous. And he's not going to try to overdo it with the strikeout stuff, which is something I think was a bit of a concern. I actually think we've seen a little bit of maturity in terms of his approach that I didn't expect to see or anticipate to see out of Kopech through the three starts that I've watched him so far. I've been thoroughly impressed as well. I have to agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm really interested to go back and kind of watch this start and see him a third time. Um, but that first start was great. I mean, you're looking at a guy, I think we talked about this very briefly, won't kind of regurgitate here, but high spin rate can elevate fastball. The slider is unbelievable, and he has to feel for a changeup. And it's like you give three pitches to a guy like this with the lead velocity. He's able to control the ball a little bit better than I think we all thought the projection would be at the beginning of the season. Maybe he's just purely a second-half guy, which is interesting. I mean, already thinking forward to 2019 where he ends up in drafts if he finishes off very strong. He's probably going to be aggressively drafted, but I've also have yeah. like if he starts slow. And a lot of people are going to kind of jump off the bandwagon. And I would, again, if you, this always goes back to the philosophy of like you're ranking guys inside the top 20 prospects, like you stick with those guys. Like that's like a, just an internal philosophy of mine is if you rank a guy inside the top 20, you don't care what happens to that guy. Like you bet on him. You're betting on him to improve. Like this happens with Tatis. Remember Tatis started slow this year and some people are like, oh, maybe sure. he's not top five. It's like you rank him a top, in the top five, you're betting on talents he has. You stick with those talents. I'm not, I hate wavering off guys in the top 20. Well, I think we both do, you know? It's one of those yeah. things. And I want to I want to even add to it that sometimes it may even take a few years for a guy to click. And I think Kopech's teammate, Especially who with has been, yeah, Kopech's teammate who has been tremendous of late, and that is Lucas Giolito. Yes. I don't know if you've watched any of him lately. I have. I've been his very change up, by him. His changeup is a legitimate plus secondary pitch. Like wow! And every so often now, like it's funny, his curveball, his hammer curveball, his twelve six curveball was such a big part of his arsenal coming up. I mean, when yep. he when he came out of Harvard Westlake, had the Tommy John surgery, and then and then came back, it was like, this dude's got two sevens, two sevens. Yep. He's got the seventy grade fastball that's 96, 97, 98 miles per hour, and he mixes it with the hammer curve. Maybe he's got you know a, a bit of a changeup, got feel for a changeup. Now the changeup is the front and center pitch. He mixes it with a slider, and sometimes he's throwing changeup slider, not even mixing in the fastball all that much. He's almost pitching backwards a lot of the time. He's really interesting. Another His guy that great. maybe it's a matter of a guy figuring it out, figuring out how to get that confidence in terms of his sequencing. And maybe it's not relying on the fastball that maybe plays up in the lower minor so much that gets exposed when you get up against better hitters, particularly major league hitters where they can all hit a fastball unless there's something unique about it, like a high spin rate, like Michael Kopech. Mm-hmm. So kind of compare and contrast there. I think especially with pitchers, as you said, to piggyback on that, Giolito, two or three years after, or I guess two years now after he's lost his prospect eligibility and was almost left for dead, I would say, after the first half of the season. He was rocking a near six ERA. It's not all that far from it right now. He was, I watched he was, some of those old stars he, this season. He was putrid would be the would be yeah. a great way to describe his his pitching uh uh <laughs> Yep. cadence over the first month but um yeah i think he's he's rebounded big now and it's it just once again goes to show you sometimes it takes time particularly with pitchers 
for people to figure it out. And I yeah, think pitchers get more opportunity to figure it out. I always yeah. bring this up. I always bring this up. I know we've got guys like Tyler Glass now. Yeah, um, absolutely. It, he's 6'6", 255. Like, Glass now's another one. Wow. They're right? huge. They're huge. But it's how good it's has he really been? hard to control your body at that size. Like, it takes time. Like, I, that's why, like, one of the reasons why I think people are so enamored with Force Whitley is because that kid's huge and he has control. And everyone's like, how does that happen? Because we've seen it time and time again. We have guys above 6'5 who are this big who just have command problems because they're so much moving. You know, like we're going to get into later today, this kid, Joey Cantillo, I saw, um, I, I really liked him because he's a really big guy, 6'4", 235, he's from Hawaii, really big kid, and he's got a little bit of command problems, but like he's 18 years old and it's not egregious yet. And I just, man, I always, I always am willing to give guys who are huge, who have amazing stuff, which Giolito always has, even if he can't command anything, there was still flashes of that change of being good. There were, he's not throwing the curveball anymore, which is something that I'm I actually really would love to talk to him about that because I can't remember the last time we had a pitcher who grades who has a 70-grade pitch and then he gets to the major league level and that pitch becomes like a probably sub-10% at this point, right? What is that pitch setting? Yeah, 10% even right now per fan graphs. Maybe he mixes it to one side of the plate more, but just crazy, man. I mean, just give, just breathe, prospect owners, <laughs> you know? Just breathe in scenarios. And it was funny, too, because I remember I was getting questions earlier this year about, like, what to do with Giolito and Dynasty. And I was like, if if... If you invested in him, you wait. He's 24 years old. Like, you know, like I'm not going to throw him for scraps right now. I'm not going to throw him for a, a, yeah. a utility role infielder, like just because I need infield depth. Like you wait on him. Like he, he was a 60 fair value prospect for an extended period of time by a lot of sites two years ago, three years ago when he, when he was in prospect eligible. But now we're getting on a little bit of a tangent here, Ralph. But yeah, I think we and, both and, agree on it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Glasnow is another another great example. Sometimes it's just a matter of tweaks and figure things out and go into the right place. Yeah. It is remarkable when you look at what his numbers have been since he's gone to Tampa Bay in 30 and, and two he's thirds innings. Dominant. And this is including last night's start. He's given up 11 earned runs. So, you know, the, the ERA is 3.23. But by the way, the XFIP is 3.31. The FIP is 3.45. So it's totally supported. He's got a one point nine four baby and a 70 percent left on base so the left on base is obviously yeah. you know he's, that's he's pitching above his head but it's still encouraging but is he really pitching that that much above his head when he's only got 10 walks at 38 strikeouts and he's keeping the ball in the ballpark too mm-hmm. you know uh in comparison to what he's done previously you know i mean like th- I, I, wow i mean he's, I he's a know. guy who's perpetually... I, I don't know what they did what did they what did the I don't know on glass now because watching it, I, I can't, I can't figure it out, figure it out for, to the naked eye. I don't know specifically what they've changed. I, I, I'm interested to, to see, maybe I could dig around a little bit and see if somebody has written about it or not, but there's something that like he just automatically goes to Tampa and it, it just, it just clicks. I mean, because to throw Weird. that many strikes, cause that's the thing that's, with this that was the throw problem many strikes and get consistent outs and pitch clean innings. That is unusual. What the heck has happened to Tyler Glasnow in Tampa? And what kind of secret tonic are they feeding? <laughs> I know. And the thing that always stands out with a guy like this is like he's averaging 96.7 on his on his fastball right now. And the extension he gets, that's about a 98, 99 mile power pitch, which I don't think a lot of people realize. Again, we had a really big, we was a big thing a couple like a year or two ago where everyone started going crazy as a uh, 
uh, overextension metrics because that was like kind of the in thing with Alex Meyer and some of these other guys. Like that's legitimate. Like you can add like a mile or two to your pitch. Like this happens with Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty is another guy who's not as big as the Tyler Glass now, but he gets like another mile to mile point two on every fastball he throws because of how far he extends towards the plate, the perceived velocity of that pitch. I think that's sortable on baseball savant if anyone wants to dig into that. I, I'm certain Glass now and and Flaherty are both up there. I just like there's there's a lot of positives. There's a lot of cons on huge guys. There's a, also a lot of positives. So, so here's the deal. So I guess he added a slider this year and he's throwing more fastballs high in the zone, which is getting him more velocity, getting him more swings and misses. And he's more confident than his curveball can be used for strikes. So I guess this with the pirates or now with the rays, I guess with the rays, they're starting to to have him. They're, they're, they're trying to get him to, to, um, uh, uh, utilize his fastball curveball mix. A little but, bit more. I don't know. Like, there's got to be something else mechanical here. Like, you got to be skeptical about that too. Like, right? Like, come on. Like, he, it's not really about that. Like, if I was Ray Searage, I would have been telling him to elevate fastballs. Sure, he's got a high spin rate. He extends well. No. The pitch is 100. But like, Searage doesn't want him throwing off speed stuff. Searage, which Searage, is fair. But I, I think the issue with Searage, and I've said this before, is I think that the game's passed him by. He's like a sure, low. Sure low fastball guy where well, everybody there, elevates. They were down, sinker, sinkers and shifting is why all those guys succeeded in Pittsburgh. But yeah, exactly. And the, I just, and the I'm game skeptical. now everybody's low ball, good low ball hitters. You I'm, know, I'm skeptical. He just goes to the Rays and they're like, throw your curveball and elevate. And then he's dropped his, his K to walk this much. There's, there's something mechanically there. I think that maybe they're just not telling you, or maybe someone hasn't prodded enough to ask, but uh, Something so changed is, for me more than so just these are, these these are the these are the comments I have. All okay. right, specifically on it. After I got here, I threw a bullpen, and we looked at the depths of my pitches. Kyle, which is Kyle Schneider, their pitching coach, okay. was more of a fan of my slider, and we came to the conclusion of more curveballs for strikes and sliders for put away. I agree with that. For me, okay, a slider sure. is is an up and down pitch. Fastballs up and sliders down. A lot of it is my arm angle. Like I was saying, the depth is similar to my curveball. I'm a really over the top guy. If I were lower, it would be more sweepy. And some days it does get a little bit more sweepy, but I'm, but if I bring it right, it's 12, six. Sometimes I'll want to bury it in the dirt. You can call it a slider. You can call it whatever you want. In the end, it's a breaking pitch that goes down. Honestly, you can't call it anything. I hold it like a slider and it acts kind of like a curveball. So that's the one thing that we want seen. more. I want more. Right. <laughs> Tyler, Kyle, Kyle Schneider. Call into the show. <laughs> Kyle Schneider, Kyle Schneider on Glasnow. We acquired Tyrell at the red line. We started the very, the very next day. I gave him a few sound bites before the game. And then we got to work on some other stuff after that. I'd probably seen him pitch four or five times for Indianapolis when I was in triple a level with Durham. He's somebody I've been intrigued by with the given his size and his stuff. We talked about being aggressive to large areas of the strike zone, especially early in the count in terms of the early count zone rates. We talked about his breaking balls are very similar in terms of their break values with his slider being the harder of the two and how to use those. We haven't talked about anything mechanically. He, he made an adjustment into Pittsburgh about a week or two before we acquired we him, and he's picked up right where he left off. Things have continued to fall into place. He's probably pitched up in the zone a little bit more into his handful of outings here than he has in the past. That's something he wanted to do and he'd already been exploring it. That lined up with any thoughts we had and have had about an approach adjustment, and everything has just kind of gelled from there. Really, a lot of it we've delivered uh, to him are things he'd already thought about and was working on. So there you go. I Mechanical guess. Mechanical adjustment in Pittsburgh. I want to know what that was. There you go. Yeah, I wonder That's what it is. Key. Yep. 
Yeah, and, and he remarks about how he's gotten better extension since he's made nice. that adjustment. So there you go. We just we just we read an entire Fangraph <laughs> Fangraphs article on air. <laughs> I love it. There we go. Shout out to Fangraphs. Chris, Chris, Chris Shaw. So Chris Shaw, we yes. want to move on to here. We'll on. Uh, he was called up. Just kind of an interesting guy because he's local to me. He was a, a local Massachusetts high school player, BC kid. Big power. I compared him to Adam Duvall. Not in the field, but because Duvall is actually not a bad. He's an above average left fielder. I don't know if people necessarily realize that. He's not a bad player. But Similar in terms of he's like all power, not a lot of approach. The batting average is going to be low. He doesn't walk a whole lot. Strikes out a fair amount. He's going to be a 30% strikeout guy early on. But I think he's got 25 to 30 homer pop. And sometimes you can search for that. Maybe he gets in a run here late. And he might be interesting to some redraft teams. And, you know, maybe on your periphery or your 16-team dynasty league if you're looking for somebody to fill some injury slots or something like that. Chris Shaw's kind of an interesting early September call-up. Why not give him a ride? See what happens. And hey, it's the Giants. I mean, what are they playing for? Play the kid. Exactly. Lance, I'm sure you don't have any thoughts on Chris Shaw. (laughs) Nothing. Yeah, no, I don't really have much. Uh, I do remember him being a prospect a bit ago, but I haven't dug in enough to have anything to add. But you did want a little, we can give a little rundown of Tyler O'Neill, King of the North, of course, and Harrison Bader, two guys you said you wanted my thoughts on. Um, But I'm obviously watching a lot of Cardinals baseball simply because they're good all of a sudden and everyone's hitting all of a sudden and everyone's Babbitt's inflated all of a sudden. So that's great. Uh, but uh, sure. obviously watch a lot of Cardinals baseball. O'Neill's been good. He's been really good. Actually. I think he, is he like 270 right now? He's probably, I think he's probably more true value, like 250, which is fine because the two things that stand out to me the most with him that I maybe just overlooked on scouting reports. And I know I'm sure you, you've, you praised him for this multiple times, but he can field pretty well. And he's a good base runner, which are two things that I think I might've just overlooked or just went purely assuming that um, he, he wouldn't be good in those two things because he was more of a power hitter, that general stereotype around the profile. He's got an arm too. You know, it's, yeah. I, it's, I think what I'm impressed with most He's a good him, baseball player. Yeah, like he's, he's a, a good, good all-around baseball player who has a lot of power. I don't think he's going to ever hit above like 270, but if he sits 250 and can pop 25 to 30 a year, I'm fine with that. You know, it's not yeah. something the Cardinals have profile side a lot. Or in the past, they haven't really had a lot of, you know, Ozuna is pretty, is pretty much the first guy in a while they've had in power hitting outfielders who are kind of in this mold. But but and then you jump over to Bader, too. Bader's another guy, again, runs really well and fields unbelievably well. His sprint speed, I think, is top 10 in baseball right now. It's right next to guys like Billy Hamilton, which I never would have guessed. I don't yeah. I don't know what it was last year. I don't know if that came out of nowhere. He did some offseason no. stuff, but he he's always, always been quick. But I, this is 80 speed, run. Ralph. This is like 80 speed. Like I, he's, he's running sprint speed. is faster than anyone in baseball. Like, how do you not grade that out as 80? That, that's blowing my mind and just how he's able to do that. And the range is able to convert, I, but... I think help. I think help and I had said he was a seventy runner for a while, but damn he sixty was, speed on Fangraphs. Like how these is that are guys, speed? Well, Fangraphs is always off by ten points. Anyway, <laughs> um, I'm serious. Just we were just uh, praising him too. <laughs> yeah, well, that was a different article. But I don't love their. I don't love their scouting grades all the time. I mean, sometimes fair, I think they're fair. too conservative and they and they generalize, and so everything seems very like homogenized, and there's not a lot of difference, and there's a lot of difference between every player, and I don't think that their grades necessarily convey that all the time because with really good players or like above average, like multi-time all-stars, not the hall of fame talents we're talking about here, but the guys that are kind of like the step below, like the guys like O'Neill or like a Bader. I just don't, I don't feel like they get the right grades necessarily in terms of a lot of stuff, but that's besides I, I like the, the grades, but I was, I, there's so many I was, prospects. I, I think that's yeah, the Yeah. I, I think, I think they give a, I think they give a lot but of like, like it's great. But, I guess on Harris, on Bader, was there anyone who gave him a 70 field 80 run 
or 70-70 field run? Because that's literally what he's grading out as right now, right? Like, I, I need to be – do you need to bring me down to earth on this? Is He's, he's uh, one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball right now. That has to be a 60-plus field, right? Help. Help and I had him like top fifty. We had him top one hundred. Yeah, come I out of the agree. Class. You guys, you guys are more aggressive. I was, I'm just. I was super aggressive on Baderman because I knew I he could field. I, I watched him in Florida. Like I loved him at Florida. I knew he could field. I knew he could put the bat in the ball, and I knew that he could run. And he was like, a lot of it is he's like an insane hustle guy. Like, yes, he's hair on and, fire. And I, yeah. I, I hate to I hate to have this like northeast bias, but he's like a Yonkers kid. He's from Yonkers. Like he's like a city kid. He's like a New York City like gritty, like, I'm not going to let a day pass me by. I'm going to play every freaking play the hardest I can. Like, you know, he's just a super blue collar player that has had a lot of opportunities, but I don't think it's ever really be considered a guy with pedigree, even though he's come out of Florida, he was drafted by the Cardinals as a top, you know, five round pick. Um, and immediately like, you know, made it up to double a, I think in his first professional season, and then he obviously spent a full year last year in, in triple a, but he's been a really interesting prospect. He's always been able to hit the knock on him for me. And I, I think maybe held him back a little bit as we wondered if he might be a, a short side, you know, a short side of the platoon, uh, platoon guy, because he's not great against right-handers. He doesn't have a ton of power against right-handers, but he mashes left-handed pitching and his defense and his running and even his on base ability, I think ultimately will keep him in the in the lineup every day. I think he's a legit everyday major league player. Mm-hmm. And I'm just glad people are finally getting to see all the things that he's done well for a while. Like he's just extreme compete level, right? Like like his compete level is a hundred all the time. And I I rarely ever use the compete level line, but I think it's really, really discre- you know, it's it's an app description with Bader. I agree. I agree. The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail, every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash live forward. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago, with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle, long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, Cardinal updates. Ralph, we're already 30 minutes in here. We've been rambling for a bit. I feel like we've had a passionate discussion oh, yeah. on this pod. I like it. I like it. AFL yeah, rosters. Fun. Let's jump over to some AFL rosters. I know you were digging into this. There is some buzz that obviously some of the Prospects Live crew will be down there scouting for us. But some interesting teams, some interesting names. Um, let's start first with just some of the highlights. On Glendale, we got Estefan Florial, Kieber Ruiz, Luis Robert. That's a fantastic trio. Salt River has Monty Harrison, Carter Keboom, and John Duplantier. A little bit less of an amazing trio, but again, still fun. And then Peoria, you have Keston Heria and Christian Pache. I'm sure I'm missing a ton of names, Ralph, but uh, give us a player to you're most interested to to watch. Obviously, some of these games are going to be streamed, I think, online on MLB Network and such. I'll be watching some, but uh, who do you want more looks at? Yeah, sure. I think the one team that I'm probably going to be spending my most time interested in following along, because I think sometimes all you're following is like a live crappy box store score update because they don't actually stream enough of these games online, which is insane yeah, to me, know, but we won't even get into it. 
I actually want, I'm really interested in watching Sixto Sanchez, Forrest Whitley, and J.B. Bukowskis on Scottsdale. I think Scottsdale is fascinating all around because they're going to have a real catcher as well. They're going to have a Remus Garcia and Ali uh, Sanchez, who was another guy that at one point was considered like, you know, a, a pretty decent prospect, but you know, Garcia is a legitimate, like major league rotation catcher. I think he's going to be up probably in the next year or two. So we're going to see some of these arms throwing to a legit catcher. That should be fun. Obviously Whitley and Sanchez to a larger extent. It's been a bit of a lost year. Bukowskis has come out in late. He missed more or less the first half of the season, but I'm really interested to watch those three arms together um, just to see how the stuff all sort of compares. And of course, you know, Forrest Whitley and Sixto Sanchez are two arms that, you know, I love the high octane, big stuff guys, and they're both high octane, big stuff guys. That team also has Peter Alonzo. I'm interested to watch Peter Alonzo uh, in, in the fall league and see if he can continue his hot hitting. Um, and maybe show that like the Mets should have called him up. Like what it's, it's, isn't it insane that they're not calling him up by the way, Alonzo. Yeah, I know. We talked uh, about this last week. It's we so did. silly. To and it's, it's funny too. Cause it, I mean, we did talk about this last week very quickly though. Like the year of control they're getting back is the age 30 season. It doesn't mean anything. So it's it, not it a service nothing. time thing. So is it just the ineptitude of the, the Mets player development to realize that he's ready? Cause I get he's bad defensively. He's not going to grade out well. Then again, not a lot of first basemen are going to grade out well. Like, we got Cody Bellinger and a couple other guys as plus defenders at first. There's really no one else that grades out as plus at first. So I don't know why that's a detriment. Like, I, I just it, – it's, yeah, it's odd. Mitch Moreland. It's odd. Yeah, it's it's odd. It's just weird. Like, there's some – yeah, Mitch Moreland's a really good example of a good defensive first baseman. But I, I shrug my shoulders at it. I don't know. It's weird yeah. to me. It's not service well, time based. Like I, you can't bring up service time. It's with it. reps too. It's, it's reps. I, I think once guys weird, get weird used shit. to a third, third baseman, a certain third baseman throwing to them, and as long as it's good throws, for the most part, first baseman make those plays. You know, should regardless of who, <laughs> regardless of who they are, for the most part, they make those yeah. plays. You know, even the Pretty mediocre good. guys do. And if it becomes that much of a detriment, and the bat is good, then you see where it goes. But at this point, there's no reason for you to hold them back. Anyway, besides the point, I love the Scottsdale team. Other guys that are really, really interesting that are on that team to me are uh, Shed Long. Interested to see what he does. Abraham Toro Hernandez, who's had really good uh, seasons over the last couple of years. And like in spurts, you know, sometimes the numbers are like tremendous for like a month and a half. He's a switch hitting guy. He's not all that small either, but he's a middle infielder. And they have a really athletic outfield, though. I think I could say that about a lot of these teams. Taylor Trammell, really, really, you know, interesting, you know, athletic outfielder. Also, Miles Straw, who's, you know, all Master. speed, all hit, tons, <laughs> tons and tons of speed. Should be interesting to see what he does and how he's used. And then Ronnie Dawson and Desmond L- uh, Lindsay are also out there. And then got a couple of masher corner outfield guys. Uh, one in the Phillies, Austin Listy, who's a double A guy, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of power there. And then uh, Heath Quinn, who's uh, a guy that was like in that mid-major conference. I believe he went to Radford and was in the same conference uh as Kyler, uh, Kyler, Kyle Lewis was, okay. uh, same Marshall, draft yeah. year. Yeah. So same, same, whatever, uh, conference that is, uh, um, in, in terms down south, uh, I don't remember. The I, yeah. I forget what it is. Yeah. I might even have South in the title. I'm just totally drawing a blank okay, right now. Let me see. Another guy that we were really high on coming out of the draft. I thought it would be a pretty good hitter. He had a really bad 2017, He's been a little bit better in 2018. Just to be interesting to see him. So that team to me is by far the most interesting because of the pitching and the mix of, uh, some good hitting like Peter Alonzo and, and, and Taylor Trammell and some other names. So yeah, that's an interesting one for me. 
Yep, Southern Conference is the conference that Mercer plays in, so just called oh, SoCon. Okay. So we were we were right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, AFL is going to be really interesting. I'm sure we're going to be that's going to be a central topic for us on Prospects Live and on this pod and such as we get going. So um, I don't know if we want to talk more about that, but I think I think we're all excited. You know, we're excited for it. it's more baseball, it's more prospects, more looks. I think I'd agree. Sixto is probably the name that I want to see the most um, out of everyone. I would say I think I've. I think we've gotten pretty good looks at everybody in other respects, but Sixto's been a guy who's weirder because he's been <laughs> low-level pitching. We know the pedigree. We're not really sure on the results, but a lot of injuries, so they're sending him to the AFL. They're confident in his health, so this seems like it might be a little time for him to work on a couple things or just air it out, and I'd love to see that. So um, I yeah. think Sixto's my number one in terms of who I want to watch. Ralph, couple Brendan, o- oh, go for it. Oh, a couple other things I wanted to mention yeah, before we get it. into Brendan McKay. Uh, the surprise middle of the order is the Fisher Cats middle of the order with Biggio, Bo Bichette, and Vlad Guerrero. That is hilarious. I think, I think it's pretty funny. I yeah, because those guys are all there. And then I wanted to mention there's a lot of yard goats, uh, uh, middle relief guys that is Hornacek are, there. Uh, yes, he is yeah. on Salt River. Our him. main man, Mitch Mitch Horacek is. Yep, Mitchy Horacek. He's on he's on that list. Uh, Ryan uh, Casti- Castiani. Yeah, is uh, sure. on that list. He's also going to be there. He's in the same um, rotation as, or I guess, stable. I call it a stable in the Arizona Fall League because it's not really a rotation. Yeah, as John Duplantier Doobie, is in that. Yeah. Gri- Griffin Griffin Jacks uh, okay. is in that. The other guy that's there is uh, Jesus Tanaco, who yeah. we've seen throw a bunch of times. I think we've seen him throw at least two or three times. Legit four pitch guy. I remember. Yeah, he he yeah. stood out. He was he was a guy who made some improvements. I think this year. I remember watching with Kevin Black, who's an old friend who you, uh, you met, a very good kid. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah, he he and stood then, out. I remember that. Yeah, he's not bad. And then uh, Justin Lawrence. I don't know if you remember seeing him. I don't remember him. No. Yeah, big right hander. Mm-hmm. Throws a decent fastball. Yeah, he's kind of an interesting guy. But anyway, I like it. A lot so, of a lot yeah, of Northeast representing Eastern yeah. League. Yeah, we got we got uh, Brandon McKay. Uh, Brandon McKay. Brandon. Rogers in there as well, not Brennan McKay. So, cool. Rogers uh, there. Yeah, we might be doing, doing. He hasn't been doing too good with Albuquerque, right? Last time I checked, I think he was. No there. man, I think his. Yeah, uh, I think the last time I looked, he had a uh, a uh, slugging percentage somewhere uh, around one point four walk rate. Two, two maybe. <laughs> Jesus. Hundred, three hundred. Yeah, he he got hurt. He was in the DL oh, for a little bit okay. there too. So I guess you could kind of write some of that off, but. Yeah, I don't know. Not great. It's not not great. He hit pretty no. well in spring, though, so I, I guess I reserve some, some positivity. But I, I well, will, I will toot my own heart yeah, here and go back to the days when he was tough. when he just got called up to Harris uh, Hartford. I first saw him, and I didn't think he was a top fifteen prospect. And I know a lot of people ranked him as such. Um, but I mean, maybe he's still got the chance. I mean, he's going to be a plus plus offensive bat at second base. I think at the major level. I still don't think he's a shortstop, but um, we'll see, man. I don't know. I don't know. Ralph, what do you say? Uh, what do we got on this list here? Uh, Brandon McKay update. Eh, that's what we want to do right now. Yeah, give, give it to us. So, the Brandon McKay update. I can give you the pitching line. He had one start. He went four innings, gave up seven hits. He gave up one walk, three strikeouts, one run. There you go. That was the Brandon McKay it. update for this week. Right. I have to take a look at what it, I can take a look at what his batting is too, but I'd have to uh, put it into put it into the sorter machine. <laughs> and tell you exactly what it came out to. So you have to give me a second here. No, to, uh, I can try to stall. Uh, yeah, two guys, stall, though. Two, I, well, we were talking a little bit about Otani. I think we chatted yesterday over the phone very briefly in terms of just his production. And I'm still really interested. I mean, I always go back to the kid uh, Tanner Dotson from Cal they picked up. Um, yep. It's another two-way guy who was legitimately two-way, who I believe was drafted as a pitcher but can hit. And I actually haven't looked at Tanner Dotson's stats in a while. But 
Man, two-way guys. I, I still am on the fence after, after talking to Will Carroll a while ago down at the last year's winter meetings that it's a possibility to get people to play up the middle and pitch. And uh, that might even be more aggressive than getting Otani to just pitch in and hit and that's get a true. full season of that. Because I think that that immediately jumps into the MVP consideration if you get a full season of it combined as war up. You're looking at pretty much probably five war pitcher, maybe two and a half war player. And then you're looking at you're looking at right in that thick. So uh, I guess if you're a gambler and you're looking at sleeper odds for next year, I, I want to see where Otani is in terms of uh, AL MVP. Because, you know, why not? You know, you're going for the dream on that. You're not going to you're not going to bet on the two and a half to one Mike Trout. You're going to look for the 15 to 20 to one guy. And I bet Otani's right in that window. Um, was that enough stalling, Ralph? That was absolutely enough awesome. stalling. He went one for nine this week at the plate yeah, okay. with one run. That one hit was a double okay. and he struck out three times and walked once. Sounds like the general Brandon McKay update, but, uh, we're still positive, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's going to be ultimately like, it's going to stink. He's going to be like a, re- a middle reliever that goes two innings and like strikes out and once hits a home run yeah he's gonna be like michael lorenzen and we're gonna have built him up for all this and it's gonna mean nothing side note i'm so positive aren't i (laughs) you are side note speaking of that michael lorenzen so i'm in a huge eliminator pool for baseball where you pick a team each week they have to go 500 better you're in it for the next week blah 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 big buy-in i'm still alive which is amazing there's only like four weeks left um and I picked the Brewers this week, and they've already clinched. They won last night, so they're they're three and one. So I, I won the week, quote unquote. But I was watching their Tuesday night game. That really that 13, 13 to twelve game or thirteen to eleven game where Yelich I think hit for the cycle. And there was a really bad call on a Michael Lorenzen play where uh, two strikes. He fouled the ball off, but they said he pulled back the bunt. And then the next pitch, Michael Lorenzen hit a home run. And I thought I was going to lose, and I got really mad at Michael Lorenzen. But I always have liked Michael Lorenzen. So that's a little bit of a side note that has nothing to do with prospects. But you know what does have to do with prospects, Ralph? Live looks. And we try to get as many as we can. I got a couple in the last couple days. I'm getting some more tomorrow, which I'm going to kind of hold for the end of the show because he's one of my 5 by 5 But I was – let's see what day it was. Friday night? Was it Friday night? Um, yeah, it was, it was Friday. Friday night? Saturday night? I don't know. It was one of these nights. Oh, Thursday. It was definitely Thursday night. One I got to see. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thursday night. I know it's Thursday night. I, I got to see Joey Cantillo. I think it's Can, Cantillo, actually. I don't think he's Spanish. He is obviously Hawaiian. He's from, I'm going to probably butcher his hometown in Hawaii. Um, I want to say it's Kailua, Hawaii. Um, high school kid, actually, was drafted 16th round by the Padres in 2017. 6'4", 220-ish, I think. This is his build right now. He's a pretty big kid. Lefty arm. Um, he's got some funk. I have to say, he's got some funk. I was talking to the media guy from Fort Wayne, become pretty good friends with him, and he was talking to the guys in, at uh, Rookie League out in Arizona and said that that's the word to use to describe Cantillo is just funk because he's got a really yeah. interesting glove side, glove arm hand motion with how he kind of pulls his upper body down very over the top delivery. And part of that comes from what he tilts his body with his with his glove arm. He does this weird thing where he like yeah. opens it up. It reminds me a little like a James Paxton kind of guy. Um, it's not as good as James Paxton, obviously, but he extends pretty well for his frame. And I actually kind of liked what I saw to the point where I'd almost tag him probably like 40, 45 future value right now, where I don't think really anyone is tagging him as that. Wow. So I liked what I saw a lot. He's a big kid. He's got really good run his fastball. His velo is not really high at all. I was talking to some of the guys from Mad Friars, and I think they said he scrapped his four-seamer. Wouldn't be surprised to see him bring that back. And I, I'd be stunned if he can't hit like 93, 94 on the gun with his size and his extension and how loose I think his arm is actually. Um but he's interesting, and the thing that I think stood out to me most is that he's got a really good feel for a changeup. He looked pretty good through two innings, ended up unraveling in the third and the fourth, and then um, Will Benson, who I'm going to get to in a second, hit a home run, a grand slam actually off the reliever. So the kid's line looks a lot worse than it is. Through two innings, he was relatively clean, three strikeouts, I want to say, a hit, a walk, a run. 
Um, some of them really well. It was only about 34 pitches and then start to unravel. So I wouldn't really stats, stat sheet scout him. But I liked what I saw structurally and a lot of, a lot of different things that he used. Um, has a curveball he throws to lefties, lefty-lefty to kind of mitigate some of that righty uh, change-up break. And, uh, or, le- excuse me, lefty change-up break into lefties for him from the left side. But um, really good feel for the change-up. I think that's what stands out to me most is that if you could give me a kid with, who's athletic like this, who's big, who doesn't really have velocity right now but has a feel for a change-up, is only 18 years old. He's already up in the Midwest League. I thought he looked pretty good. I'd love to see him get another start for the team caps as they kind of run into the playoffs right now and are playing the West Michigan Whitecaps for the chance to play a couple extra games. But I liked what I saw a lot. I think he's a guy who's relatively under the radar, and this just goes back again to the unbelievable pitching depth in this Padres system, man. Um, between guys like Osvaldo Hernandez, who I, again, I just think people are kind of tossed under the rug because you got guys like Patino and Gore and now Ryan Weathers and et cetera. But I like Quintino a lot. I think he's a name to, to kind of keep in mind, and I'm interested yeah. to see his next couple starts. Um, Will Benson. Gronk with a bat is no longer Gronk with a bat. That kid has an unbelievable swing now. I want to do a little jiff up swing difference between what the YouTube video I remember we were joking about a while ago when we did the Indian system was yeah. compared to now because it's, it's absolutely night and day. I think that I've been so encouraged by this kid's progress. I think he's 20 years old, I believe, still. Um, I'm just I, – I don't want to say I'm enamored with Will Benson, but – I just I've been continually impressed with the raw power he has and the fact that he's consolidated his swing so much. I think it's a weird combination of swing and miss, possibly some discipline issues. I don't know if it's a heavy breaking ball recognition problem because he's walking a good amount, but he swings through a lot. And I think it's a problem with just really being his 6'5", 240-ish frame, where it's just a lot of long levers. It's a lot of holes. This goes back to guys like Joey Gallo. I don't want to break up Aaron Judge, but Aaron Judge... um, It's just... He's big. It's going to take some time. And if you give this kid three or four years, I... I think he could be like a 28% strikeout guy with 30 home run power at the major league level. I think that's probably somewhere near his ceiling, maybe 35 home runs. And again, it's a small percentage that he gets there. But I've been really encouraged by the, the adjustments I've seen. He's, he can run pretty well, too. He's an athletic kid. He's got a cannon for an arm. Um, I, I've never been disappointed when I've seen Will Benson. And I think that he's probably one of the more impressive players to watch in the Midwest League, honestly. And I've, only, I've seen him on the home run derby on the All-Star game. And I saw him uh, Thursday night in Fort Wayne. And I've been really impressed. He had a ball. Uh, that I thought he hit the bottom of the ball, or excuse me, I thought he hit the top of the ball and he line-drived it out because he's got so much raw pop. It's just, I've mean, been continually impressed with him, and I really like him. And then really quickly, Gabriel Arias, I just want to point out again, this is probably my fourth or fifth time seeing him this year. The strides have been unbelievable in terms of his approach. There's games where he whiffs a lot, and there's games where he doesn't look great at the plate, but extremely smooth defender. I think he could probably place about a 60 tag on it, future glove. Um, really good arm, really good poise, presence. He gathers well, really good range, mobility. Um, his, his bat's getting better. He's hit for the cycle the other day. He's showing a little bit more power in the second half here. Another really, really young guy. I know you liked a lot. I think it's just a matter of time again with him. Just breathe and wait because he's going to be another three, four-year project. But I, I'd be really surprised if they move him off short unless he builds, comes into his frame a little more. And I think he's a productive bat. I think he could be a relatively productive bat. Owen Miller, last one here before I kick it back to you and give you some of your thoughts on Schwarz and some others, Ralph. But uh, this was a guy you wanted to confirm whether he was kind of a – uh, a guy, I guess, quote unquote, so to speak, or not. I, I think I might lean towards the not. Um, his swing's level. <laughs> it's really compact. I think it. The, what I say is his swing is advanced for the Midwest League. You see a lot of swings in the Midwest League with a lot of movement. And you see then again on the opposite side a lot of guys who kind of widen up their stance a little bit, shorten their stride, almost go no stride and just put the bat to the ball and are able to square up most pitches in the zone because most guys are throwing fastballs. Um, not really mixing too much breaking stuff unless you're facing a better pitcher. And that's what I feel like Owen Miller strived on is that level swing. Not, I've not been thoroughly impressed with a lot of things I've seen from him, but he's hitting really well. The bat's really high. I think he's a guy who sits in the Midwest League for long enough for them to promote him to Elsinore, high A, and then he, maybe he struggles there a little bit, and then it kind of stalls and maybe just kicks to the side. But 
uh, maybe I'm wrong on Owen Miller. I haven't been watching him too closely. I've always been more interested in guys like Estuary Ruiz and Jason Rosario, et cetera. But he's one to keep an eye on. I just, I, I'd take almost probably any guy in the tin caps of that quad of four on your national talents that are unbelievable over Owen Miller. Um, but that was what I saw on Thursday. And uh, I'll hold off who I'm seeing pitch until we get to the 5x5. Five five. Ralph, tell us about Schwarren and Enyao. Yeah, so I hit up, I uh, got some some press passes from the Pawtucket Red Sox. Uh, got hooked up with those for Wednesday night's game against uh, Lehigh Valley. And I wanted to check out that game specifically because it was an absolutely uh, relevant matchup in terms of sort of September call-ups. I think the playoff race and maybe some guys that were on the cusp of the major leagues and two arms that I think have become somewhat interesting names over the last few months like into this season these are both guys that have taken a pretty big step forward and kind of come onto the radar as they're on sort of the cusp of the majors one in Eniel de los santos of lehigh valley which is the phillies triple a affiliate and then of course Pawtucket red sox it was mike schwarren uh right-hander that i know lance got an opportunity to see it uh in portland or against uh or new against hampshire. Yep. new hampshire okay couple uh, months back. I got to catch him one time in Hartford. So there we go. We, we've each seen Mike Schwarren once going into it. Um, going into this game, I decided I was going to sit. Now, first off, there aren't that many people there. I was going to sit behind home plate, as I usually do. And I just happened to be playing it next to uh, a couple of the guys from the Red Sox organization. And we just started chatting sort of as the game was starting to get going, blah, 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 blah. And um, they were talking about what Schwarren and uh, – what De Los Santos, what Eniel were throwing because he was actually logging the game for the Red Sox. And it was funny because he was talking a lot about how they've been trying to work on Schwarren's uh, changeup. He wasn't throwing it very early, uh, much very early on because he had cruised through the first inning and maybe six or seven pitches um, through a lot of contact. You know, the sinker, that two seamer gets tons and tons of sink on it. Really nice slider that even when he throws that, he, he throw it in on the hands of, lefties this guy's a, a righty really low three quarters delivery so you i think it's really hard for those guys to pick up but the thing that's nice is he's able to sort of sweep it through the zone and get it in on guys hands but still throw it for a strike which i think makes it a really really effective pitch it's the same thing with his fastball and and when i went back and i looked at some of the tape it looked like he was elevating that fastball too and he'll elevate that fastball high you know in on lefties or he'll throw it off the plate a little bit and get some swings and misses on it or even catch the outside of the plate the control and command was much better than I, I I thought it had been previously. Um, it was one of his better AAA starts, if not his best AAA start. It wasn't so much swing and miss stuff, though he did get a lot of whiffs. It was the fact that he would set somebody up, you know, throwing a first pitch strike, coming back in on either a slider or uh, a two seam fastball that you know either got a ground ball, got a pop up, or got a swing and miss. Um, or even got a called strike. It seemed like he was just always effective. He was really, really efficient with all the pitches that he used. The slider was really good. After he got through the first two innings, all of a sudden he started to unleash this changeup, and and it had some really nice bite on it too. Um, and he was throwing it, you know, a little bit higher in the zone too, kind of to, to tunnel with the the four seam fastball. Um, he got a called strike on it, and then came back to it again at the end of the third. Um, to a lefty and threw the changeup into him and got a swing and miss uh, for strike three. 
So I forget who the lefty was, just, you know, no name batter, Lehigh's Valley's uh, lineup, but it really wasn't all that strong that night. But Schwarren looked really, really impressive. And when I went back and looked, because I know you had mentioned the four-seamer versus the two-seamer, and to be honest with you, he was pitching, so he kind of takes his time between pitches, but he sets up really quickly that, you know, I'm trying to take video of it that I'm not necessarily thinking about differentiating the fastball so much. Mm -hmm. But when I went back and I looked at it, you could uh, clearly see that he had one fastball, and I think I sent you some tape, that he was elevating versus one that he was throwing that had that sink, that had that run uh, that he's notorious for in his two-seamer. All this to say, if he has this changeup in a four-seamer with a two-seamer slider that we already knew about dating back to his days at Maryland when he was a you know, pretty good collegiate uh, starter and bullpen guy at one point, it looks to me like Schwarren has a four-pitch mix, throws it for strikes, has a good build, really, really efficient in getting weak contact and driving weak contact and getting the strikeout when he needs it and really being cerebral about how he sequences and pitching that this is unlocked sort of a different Mike Schwarren than what we had at the end of 2017 or, or what we thought we had coming into 2018. It seems like he's really evolved, but you know, going into Portland through Portland and now into Pawtucket through about seven or eight appearances. And I want to mention too, and I know I mentioned this to you last night when we chatted is he actually had, Prior to this, he had an awful start. Worst start of his professional career. Prior to that, he had a two-inning relief appearance. So I wonder if he's a guy that could get called up and sort of fit a multi-inning relief role for the Red Sox, maybe make some spot starts as well. And it seemed like from what the Red Sox guys were sort of saying in the language around talk, the way they talked about Schwarren, it seemed to me like that's a guy that's sort of being groomed for that role potentially in September if they need to rest some of these arms and just get some some good innings out of some guys. And he seems like what they need because he throws a lot of strikes and they don't have a lot of relievers that throw a lot of strikes. They have a lot of relievers with like nasty stuff like Kimbrel, Kelly, some of those guys that aren't like, you know, control stalwarts or whatever. Mm-hmm. I like it. What about Enio, Ralph? Yeah, so as I catch my breath here on Enio. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want it all. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um Enyo was really impressive from a stuff standpoint. Right off the bat, it stands out to you. Doesn't extend all that well. He's not all that athletic, but he's sort of your prototypical pitching build. 6'3", slender, lean, strong, rubber arm, um, kind of like a higher three quarters, which, you know, it's a stark, a star, stark contrast with Schwarm because he's so low. I mean, he's almost like sidearm, right? I mean, you would, mm-hmm. you would agree that's a really low three quarters yep. delivery. He's a little bit higher, but he's not like an over-the-top guy. Uh, he comes in at like 95, 96 consistently. 94 to 96 is what he sits. Pop 97 a couple of times. Mixes in a slider, curveball, and a plus changeup. Really throws the changeup, though. He really doesn't throw it all that much. Throws it a lot to lefties, and he does get a ton of swings and misses on it. Early on, throwing a lot of strikes. They were all over him. Now, I want to give him some credit as well, because that Pawtucket lineup had two rehabbing, rehabbing, rehabbing major <laughs> leaguers. Rehabbing is hilarious. Reha- rehabbing major leaguers in uh, Raphael Devers, who's on his way back, who ripped him for a double in the first inning. And then Christian Vasquez drove in Devers on uh, an RBI single uh, in the first inning. So those are two guys that can hit a little bit. I mean, you know, one guy had a 277 uh, or, you know, 280 batting average in 2017 at with Vasquez. And we know that Devers is a pretty damn good, you know, young hitter. I can't call him a prospect any longer, but he kind of is. And 
then they had guys like Tony Renda, who's been around for a while, kind of who is a true quad a guy, but he's had some major league time and they had some others too, that are in that lineup that I'm not just, you know, escaping me right now. Rosny Castillo, they had a bunch of guys that are like, you know, major league guys, uh, Josh Ockamy, you know, potential major league guy, uh, Chavez, uh, Michael Chavez wasn't in the lineup that night, unfortunately, but that was a much tougher assignment for Eniel, I guess is what I'm saying. than what Mike Schwarren had on the other side, where it was like Dylan cousins and then like a bunch of, a bunch of bums. And I guess Dylan cousins is one of the bums actually, to be honest with you too, but we'll get into that in a second. So anyway, Eniel mixing up the four pitches. They looked really, really good. Um, he got hit a little bit, but he settled down, got his strikeouts, got his outs. You know, he got Akami on a strikeout, followed it up with, uh, Edwari Tavares, I think is his name. Uh, who's like a, a, you know, just a, a minor league depth sort of a guy outfielder got him to strike out on a fastball, fastball, change up slider in on the hands. It got a really nice uh, picture. I actually got a really nice video of the slider. I think I posted it up on the prospects live sites. You can go and check that out. Um, but yeah, so he was 94 to 96 in the fastball touched 97 change up was anywhere from like 85 to 90, which is kind of wacky, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, he had a really f- weird range and I almost mistook it for the slider cause they have similar run, um, slider is like 81 to 83. Uh, and then he has a curveball that's like 78 to like 81, 82. So sometimes it's really tough to, to pick it up, but you know, you could sort of had to like really go back and look, is it 12, six or is it 11, five? So he's got a nice mix of mix of pitches. Everything looks pretty at least average or better. Um, and he looks like he could be a swing and miss guy, especially in small doses. If you wanted to ramp it up and really work like slider fastball or slider chain or excuse me, fastball changeup. So, mm-hmm. um, sequencing wasn't necessarily as, as, as advanced as Schwarren, but I also want to give him some credit for the fact that he was actually facing a better lineup. So yeah, I like any, I didn't think he was bad. Gets a ton of ground balls too. Mm-hmm. I would say that if he had eight outs, nine outs, seven or eight of them were ground ball outs. I mean, it was predominantly ground balls and like weak ground balls too. And he'll get it on the slider and he'll get it on the fastball. So he's an interesting player. I'm, I'm pretty interested in, in uh, seeing what NEL does over the next couple of years. Uh, it's probably like a, uh, I think him and Schwarren have similar upside. They're probably like number fours, but they got opportunity. Each of them have some stuff and some movement. Uh, and they have a multitude of pitches, which gives them an opportunity to get better at the major league level with some coaching and uh, maybe some sequencing adjustments. And I think, you know, you never know. Do I think the ceiling is ace or something? Obviously not. But um, maybe they have sneaky like mid rotation upside where they could be a really good, you know, number three with some decent peripherals. But either way, I think they're guys that could be interesting for playoff contending teams. I wrote an article about them today or yesterday for Rasball. Uh, and then the other guys that were in the lineup that might be of interest, uh, Dylan cousins, who is the happy Gilmore of baseball. He hit maybe the highest home run to right field I've ever seen in my life. He's a big left-handed, uh, or is he lefty? I want to cousins is a lefty. Yeah, he is a lefty. Okay. Um, big lefty, terrible in the outfield. He botched a routine, uh, a fly ball out and left that the ball was like literally going into his glove. I don't know how he dropped it. He just like missed it. Like he was blind. Uh, oh, man. He had two awful uh, three pitch strikeouts and then he had two homers. 
And one of them, like I said, to right field off of Schwarin was the one. It was the only hit Schwarin had given up at that point. Okay, he had one walk, so it was a two-run homer. Up to that point, he had been perfect through the first three innings. I think it was in the fourth. And he just hung a slider, and and Cousins just knocked it into, like, next week. Like, the launch on this much, the like, the launch <laughs> angle on this would have been unbelievable to watch because it looked like the highest, like, can of corn infield fly ball you've ever seen in your life, only it left the park by, and it cleared the fence and right by about 100 feet. It was nuts. It was the craziest homer I've ever seen in my life. The other one was a little bit less. Uh, and then the other guy I wanted to bring up is Josh Akami, who's just really, really stiff at the plate. Mm-hmm. I can see, I can see how when he makes contact, uh, every so often, you know, when he battles it up, he probably just hits rockets, crazy line drives, huge homers. He's got a lot of trouble making contact and good contact at that. He makes the wrong kind of contact, drives the ball on the ground a lot. I wasn't a huge fan of Josh Ockamy in my first like live look at him. Um, Cause I've missed him in Portland a few times. He just hasn't been in the lineup when I've seen that team. So yeah, I wasn't all that impressed with Ockamy as well, uh, but not really, but and not really anybody, any all that interesting other than that. Obviously Devers looked great. It was great to see him. He ripped a double oh, yeah. ripped a double. Oh my God. Kidding sand at that level. Right. <laughs> you know, it really is. It really is. It's like, Oh yeah, this is, this is still not necessarily age appropriate either, but what the heck? Well, let's, let's give him a free pass. Hey, I want to do something. I want to do something new before we do a RotoWare commercial. I want to do this week's uh, uh, new update of a different, I guess, kind of a minor league or a baseball guy doing something, uh, you know, exceedingly well or out of the norm, athletically, kind of like Brendan McKay. I guess it's a theme. We like to build up the athletes, guys, uh, athletic guys, and the guys that are doing stuff that's unique here on the Rasball Prospect Podcast. And that is one Kyler Murray, who oh, ripped yes. it up today for uh, the Oklahoma Sooners, mm-hmm. number seventh ranked Oklahoma Sooners. They play Florida Atlantic and won 63-14. He was out of the game comfortably early in the second half. He was nine for 11, throwing the ball, had some really, really nice throws downfield as well, where he really just, you know, dropped it in on the hands of his receivers, 209 yards, no interceptions, two touchdowns. I know we're changing sports here Had some really (laughs) nice runs. He was four for 23 uh, on the ground. It was a 5.8 run uh, per carry. So there you go. Kyler Murray, quarterback, all American. We got to come up with Heisman. Future Heisman. <laughs> we have a Kyler Murray update now. I figure it's something that would be interesting. It could supplant the Brendan McKay update if over the offseason. Oh, it's a good because, point. Yes, that's because, a very good point. Well, yeah, well, because Brendan McKay is only going to probably pitch once more for the rest of the season. If that, he might actually be done. This might be our last Brendan McKay update. And we need some athletic feet to, to replace it. And we're going to have the Kyler Murray update. So there you go. Uh-huh. I'm making an executive decision here, Lance. Kyler Murray all the way. <laughs> I agree. 2018 I, I Heisman Trophy winner, Kyler Murray. National champion, Kyler Murray. At some point, Kenny's got to make a shirt, right? Yeah, he does. He's got to get me some Kyler love, baby. Come on. Two-way Kyler. Two-way Kyler. Kyler like knows. Kyler knows. Just like yes. Bo. Kyler knows. That's what I want. Make me a Kyler Nose shirt because you're RotoWare. And you can use our promo code SAGNOF, S-A-G-N-O-F, to get 20% off all of your purchases on the highest quality T-shirts, the dopest designs 
in the fantasy and just sports t-shirt game. It's it, it transcends it transcends fantasy at this point. What Rennie? What Rennie? What Rennie's doing? What Kenny's doing? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Jerry drink the water. I've been talking. I've been talking for like twenty minutes straight, Lance. <laughs> yeah, you got to. My mouth is so dry. It's crazy. Anyway, um, he really is though. I mean, if you if you if you haven't seen it, go and check it out over on uh, at Rotoware at Rotoware Classic. The New York Yankees are rocking Rotoware. Yes, okay, saw that. Kenny Stingers. Yep, Kenny, longtime Yankees fan. This is like a dream come true to him. I talked about it to him this week, and he was so so, so excited. Oh, so yeah. use. Yeah, so go over there. You can't use our promo code on it, but you can buy the Big Al Hit Stingers shirt. Big Al himself. He is a true legend, by the way. So there you go, Kenny. Kenny's doing well, getting a lot of shirts that are getting out there. I know that uh, it looked like Alex Bregman was rocking the Big Al Hit Stingers t-shirt as well. It wasn't just him. So he's in locker rooms everywhere. So if you want to wear the same gear that, you know, Lance and I wear, Gray wears, all the other fantasy experts that are out there and real players. It's where fantasy and real life intersect. It's RotoWare. Use our promo code SAGNOF to get uh, 20% off. There you go. Lance. Hey, everybody. This is usually the part in the show where me and Ralph go through our MILB 5x5. We had a bit of an audio recording technical difficulty, and it lost my audio specifically, but for some reason kept Ralph. So what we're going to do here is I'm going to run through my 5x5 very quickly here, and then what I did was clip together all of Ralph's 5x5 in succession. So you're going to hear my 5, then it's going to jump to Ralph. It might be a little bit out of context, so there might be some weirder things in there, but we wanted to give you all the content we could, and Ralph had some pretty good points on five guys he's been looking at in the minor leagues. So I'm going to start off with mine here. My number one of the week was Shane Baz. He went four innings, five hits, three earned, four walks, five strikeouts in his most recent start. Not the best. He was obviously the player to be named later in the Tampa Bay Rays-Pittsburgh Pirates trade for Chris Archer. The piece in that deal that I thought was relatively interesting because I wasn't sure how necessary it was with Glasnow and Austin Meadows both coming over, those were kind of more of the present value return guys, whereas Baz seems to be more of a more of a high-end blue chip investment of sorts very young kid i believe he's only about 18 years old high velocity guy i think we had john eshelman from 2080 ball out there to see his most recent start um i gotta backtrack and check out and see what he thought we respect his opinion a lot so i'm excited to see but again high upside guy you're gonna have to invest in this guy and send him for a while um it's gonna take some development time it's gonna be a four-year project with a lot of these high school arms and it's gonna take some time for him to develop but um interesting start again some control problems with him but electric high velocity guy to keep an eye on my number two is Andrew Kisner of the St. Louis Cardinals. He was just promoted up to AAA with the move from of Carson Kelly from Memphis, the Cardinals AAA, up to the major league level along with a couple others, I believe, in the Cardinals system like Daniel Ponce de Leon. But Andrew Kisner, I went in Springfield this year, has been really good. He's He had a temporary promotion to AAA earlier in the year, I believe, when Yachty was hurt, and they called up Carson Kelly to fill in, and then Kisner filled in to AAA. But he stayed most of the year in Springfield, AA. He hit 313, 13% strikeout weight to 8% walk rate is fantastic. His peripherals are very, very nice, always have been. He kind of reminds me of Danny Jansen, kind of type guy wouldn't be shocked to see him kind of in that mold last year really good hit tool really good approach he knows what he's doing at the plate power projection is still somewhat questionable only seven home runs this year i'd like to see that kick up to make him a little bit more valuable of a fantasy catcher option but catchers are everywhere i really like Kisner in terms of just a guy you want to sit on who's not going to kill you an average almost a kurt suzuki maybe kind of guy uh at the major league level i really hope but um I, I don't expect AAA to be too much of a challenge for Kisner, and I'm excited to see how he plays with Carson Kelly's promotion finally. And eventually the Cardinal fans can figure out who they want to hate more, Kisner or Kelly, because <laughs> I feel like we flip-flopped as Cardinal Nation. Um, we're really high on Kelly for a while. Kelly didn't really produce. Now 
everyone's pretty high on Kisner, hoping a similar kind of build could come out. Um, he's been praised for his pitch framing, too, so maybe there's some intangibles there that don't directly relate to fantasy that'll be valuable. My number three is Tristan McKenzie. I feel like he's fallen off the radar a little bit. Um, was kind of a top 50 pitcher, uh, top 50, excuse me, overall prospect in updates from uh, probably a couple of months ago or beginning of this season. Everyone was pretty behind him. What they didn't like was the build and the size. He was a little bit of an undersized kid, pretty skinny, pretty tall, pretty lanky, but I, the stuff was always pretty good, and the velocity was always pretty good, too. I think it was more just a durability concern around the size thing, is be my guess. But he's up in Akron right now. Pretty big jump from high to double A, and his control's gotten better, actually. Sub three walk per nine. I really like that a lot. His most recent start, he went six innings, four hits, two walks, four strikeouts in Akron. Um, I, I think that he's one to keep an eye on. With how the Indians have developed pitching recently, I... I would, I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't recommend him to some extent. I think that he's kind of one of these borderline top-tier guys. He's not in really that Whitley Kopech, even some of the Braves arms, you know, that, that window of guys that everyone really likes. But um, I still think he's really valuable, and I think there's a ton of value in here if you can get him cheap in some leagues. or Maybe someone valuing him as like an outside-of-the-top-80 kind of guy. I think he's still right in that window. And, um, again, pitching is, is volatile, and he's a guy who's produced for extended periods of time here with very good control. Um, just to see if he had some weight. I'd like to see some of his mechanics now as opposed to last year and see if he's improved at all. My number four is Braden Webb, not Brandon Webb, Braden Webb of the Milwaukee Brewers. He was recently called double A. One of his most recent starts was probably one of the best of his career. Six innings, a hit, three walks, 10 strikeouts. Big overhand curveball guy, a bit of a fading changeup. South Carolina University guy. Higher for delivery is probably the tag that everyone places on him most. I don't love the mechanics. I think they're fine. I think they're passable. I think with a lot of guys who are high effort like this, there's a bit of deception that comes with them inherently because of how quick their arm speed is in a lot of scenarios and how much movement and, and effort and violence there is in their delivery kind of disguises some of the pitches. So he's able to mix that curveball, possibly that changeup in the fastball, all with this similar kind of motion to the plate. And uh, maybe it hurts his repeatability at times, which, again, hurts his control. But the strikeouts might always be there because of how high effort he is and how maybe how much funk he has, I guess, so to speak, in his delivery. But I haven't seen this kid too much extensively, but I want to keep an eye on him. I think he's a guy who's kind of around the peripheral of maybe the top 25 in the Brewers system. But with this promotion and with this recent success, maybe he gets a little bit more of a look when updates of ranks come out um, sometime early next year in 2019. My number five is going to be a guy I'm seeing on Sunday, which is the day of this podcast that's coming out. So today, so to speak, Ryan Weathers is pitching Sunday in West Michigan against the White Caps for the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. Obviously, the top 10 pick, A.J. Preller, in the 2018 draft here. Um, two innings, two and two-thirds innings, five strikeouts, two hits, two unearned runs, and a walk in his most recent start. His first start up in Fort Wayne was three and a third, six hits, two earned, with about four unearned, I want to say, in total, four runs in total, so two unearned, two earned, and four strikeouts. The strikeouts have been here. I think he's right around... Um, uh, excuse me, 9-to-1 struck at the walk ratio in the about six innings he's thrown. But uh, I want to go into the start with as clean of a pal as I can to talk about or kind of just digest what he's doing because I know that he does finish a little bit upright, but I really don't want to have that GA in my opinion of him as I go to watch him on Sunday. Um, I think he's he's obviously an electric arm if Preller was willing to invest a top-ten pick in him. Um, they've been going pitching heavy uh, for an extended period of time, obviously, the Padres and building up that depth as I was talking about with Cantillo earlier in this uh, podcast. But... I'm really excited to see Weathers. I don't think I've seen a really a top 10 pick of this year's draft in a bit. Or this year's draft, I don't think I've seen, seen any top 10 picks. But last year's draft, I've seen a bit of them. Obviously, high in talent. His dad's Dave Weathers. Seems like he's a pretty level-headed kid. Um, maybe a bit of a bigger body, but I almost maybe even consider that's a baby fat because he's a little bit young. He's only about 18 years old. So 
that'll be an interesting start. I'll definitely report back to Ralph and the rest of you guys here at the Roswell Prospect Podcast. So as I said, I'm going to cut over to Ralph now. Five of his five in succession. I'm clipping them up. So if there's any talking back to me or anything like that in it, you're not going to hear my end because we had some audio problems. But again, Ralph's 5 by 5 coming up right here, and then we'll end the show. And we'll see you guys next week. So my number one is actually a two-sport guy, and that would be uh, Brewer Hicklin, who went to uh, the University of Alabama, uh, Birmingham. The seventh-round guy back in 2017. Uh, I think he actually started the year in high A, uh, struggled a little bit, and they sent him down to uh, low A. He's with the Lexington Legends, which I know you got to take in some uh, Lexington Legends games. I don't know if you remember seeing Brewer Hicklin there or not. Uh, yeah, he's actually been pretty unbelievable this season. He had a huge game last night. I believe it went three for four, and I can pull the numbers up so I can you know, have him here in front of me. But uh, he's a great athlete. He runs really well. He's got a little bit of power. There's definitely some discipline issues. Um, and I think you kind of see it in the stat line. But, you know, he slashed 313, 379, 563 in 80 games uh, in Lexington. This is his first full professional season. Uh, was drafted, like I said, back in 2017. 17 homers. He's got 29 steals. Uh, of those 29 steals, he's only been caught six times. So he's got a really good conversion rate there. And he was a wide receiver uh, in college uh, as well. So he was a guy that played two sports, really, really talented, really, really talented athlete. He's got speed. He's got a little bit of power, not a lot of approach. He's a little bit raw uh, in that sense. But I think when you watch him, he's got some good bat speed. Like I said, quick hands, really quick feet. I think he can make some plays with his legs. So um Maybe a fourth outfield profile ultimately, but I think there's maybe an outside chance that is that, you know, with a full time commitment to baseball, maybe the Royals can potentially, you know, mold this guy into something a little bit more than that. But at the very least, he's a really intriguing athlete and I always bet on athletes uh, when I'm when I'm trying to look for some long shots, dig around here. He's a guy that was sort of on the back end of my top 500 and he's continued to hit well. So I think he might move up just a little bit on that list. My number two is, uh, 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 one of the favorites of our good friend, uh, Jason Waddell. And I think all the, all, I don't get a lot of live looks, but I have gotten to see uh, a full series over the last week, or maybe the two series over the last week and a half uh, in the Florida state league. There's only like two leagues or excuse me, two teams, two stadiums that are wired. Uh, for MILB TV. He just happened to be playing in him. One of them was Bradenton and he's looked fabulous. I love this kid. Um, he was in the Midwest league. He tore it up early in the year. He was a college guy, 2017, uh, fourth round pick. So I guess there's a lot of 2017 draftees I'm talking about, but I think the thing that sticks out about him and Jason sort of talks about every day is he can really hit. He's got power. He's got great bat speed, maybe a little bit of swing and miss, but that's okay. Um, really good foot speed. He can steal bases. He's been really efficient on the base paths this year as well, but it's the defense. It's the fact that he can actually stick at shortstop. He's got a plus arm or above average to plus arm at short, good footwork makes all the plays, good range, um, steady defender. I know if, you know, Jason sort of, uh, railed on that a little bit. The fact that, you know, this guy's defense is really good. And I think it's one of the things that's underrated here with Kevin Smith, because that may keep him at the position that may push him even more. And that pushes that profile and gives him some opportunity with, you know, a con a contact over approach profile with some power and some uh, base running base stealing ability. That's a really interesting guy in fantasy, especially at the shortstop position in a ballpark like Toronto uh, in a division like the ALE. So I'm kind of interested to see how Kevin Smith 
fits into the Bo, Vlad, uh, Kevin Biggio situation that's going to be going on over the next year or two. But uh, the Toronto system is very, very deep. A lot of guys that are even maybe somewhat off the prospect radar when they're picked up by Toronto. Toronto very quickly seems to mold them into some interesting prospects. We've seen that happen with Kevin Smith here, certainly with Kevin Biggio, and maybe some others as well in the future. My number three is Tony Gonsolin. I feel like we've neglected to talk about this guy all year long. You know I love him because he's a right-handed starter in the Dodgers organization. I love Dodgers pitchers. I love the right-handers that they always find in the college ranks that are kind of sneaky. They've had a handful of them over the years. And I love him also because he's kind of got a big leg kick. It's not like Mackenzie Gorish. I don't know if you took a look at, it, took a look at any uh, tape of him, but... You know, like it's not your normal leg lift. He kicks it out a little bit. So he's got a little bit of the deception. Um, big over-the-top delivery. There's definitely some effort in the delivery as well. But he's been awesome this year. And he's got, you know, a multitude of pitches that he can throw for swinging strikes. He's got a slider that clocks out at like 92 miles per hour. So he's a really, you know, hard slider guy, almost like a like a Blake Trinan uh, hard slider guy. Uh, he's got a good curveball that I like as well. And then he's got a, he's got a split uh, split finger change that he throws. So he's got a bevy of off speed pitches to go with the fastball. He's got some velocity. You know, Dodgers guy, kind of under the radar. He was a two way guy at St. Mary's. I think he was a ninth round pick uh, of the Dodgers. And the numbers have been really good. You know, between uh, Rancho Cucamonga and uh, and then um, uh, Tulsa. So I don't know, Tony Gonsolin. I think he's a guy you got to check out. Probably somebody you can get, still get for relatively cheap in most dynasty leagues, but an intriguing free arm. He's a little bit older at 24, but I think the fact that he was a you know uh, a two-way guy, you know, and he didn't have as much time maybe necessarily focusing uh, uh, you know on his stuff. But yeah, I mean the guy legitimately throws a slider, curveball, splitter, fastball, and he's got some giddy up. Misses some bats, gets outs, throws a lot of strikes. Get some deception. I'm just saying he's something that you should pay attention to. And he was in the same rotation as Corbin Burns. And uh, he's not too far away from the majors either. So maybe you can have a race and see who's actually better. So number four for me, instead of number four, maybe I could just list off a bunch of guys that got called up. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I'm going to go Michael, Michael Hellman. Michael Hellman, who is kind of an interesting guy. He was an 11th rounder uh, out of Texas A&M. He's in full season with Cedar Rapids. Lance saw him a few weeks ago, 2018 draft guy. Lance didn't even know he was there. Second baseman. Second baseman. He's a hit first guy. He's hitting 379, 419, 526. You know, the swing, 2080 has some tape. Uh, big shots to Adam and the guys over there, John Eshelman and everybody else. Um, you know, they got some tape up there. He's definitely, you know, a... a, a Decent bat speed, more of a line drive hitter, good barrel control. Um, not somebody, you know, he could turn, he could turn on a fastball, he could turn on a mistake, but for the most part, he's a guy that's just going to put the ball in play, you know, hit some ground balls, leg it out. You know, he'll, he'll even flash a bunt or two. So he's just more of a hit tool guy. Um, but it looks like he's got a little bit of speed and then a little bit of thunder at times in the bat. Uh, because he's got such good bat speed, such good quick hands. So maybe he's a guy that the Twins uh, sort of stole here. They've drafted really well the last few years from the college ranks, and he was at a big-time school at Texas A&M. So maybe Michael Hellman is somebody that's kind of interesting. Yeah, so I'm going to go with another 2018 draft guy. That's Jordan Groshans, uh, who was a high draftee for the Blue Jays. 
you know, was promoted to the Appalachian League, which is where Wander Franco was, and he really struggled. I think he hit 182, 229, 273 with a homer and a double four RBIs. They're in the playoffs now. Bluefield, his team, was uh, facing Princeton, collected three hits, including an RBI double, and uh, that was no small feat. That was actually off of uh, Shane Baz, if I'm not mistaken, as well. No? Um, I think he actually pitched last night, right? Didn't you say that? They're chewing on something. Don't worry about it. Oh, was it Thursday? All right. So maybe it, maybe it wasn't, but there was somebody that was pitching for him. But either way, maybe it was uh, Libertor. Either way, he pitched really well. Th- excuse me, hit really well. Three hits, RBI double, big night for Groshans. I love this kid. Tons of bat speed, tons of raw power. Um, you know, I, I think he might have 25 plus homer pop. I know some people have capped it a little bit more and think it's more of a hit tool thing. I think it's a, a legit combination of hit tool and power. I love these kind of guys. You know, maybe he's a, a, in the mold of a Brennan McKay, that sort of thing, um, where he's it's a really young prep bat with a lot of upside to have, you know, a, a, be a decent middle, middle of the order uh, and, and have the ability to stick in the dirt in terms of defensively, which provides some value as well. So I love Jordan Groshans. He's one of my favorite prospects from this draft. I'm going to be redoing my first-year player draft ranks relatively shortly, and uh, he's going to be ranked pretty highly. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply. Stop. Opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232.